0: And welcome to the Auto Movie Podcast. We bought the cheapest podcast on the internet to see what the car was thinks of it later. I'm Chris Ratcliffe. As ever, I'm joined by Martin Spain. And today, we are not reviewing a car movie. So if you tune in for our car movie reviews, we're kind of doing all of the extras features this week and none of the reviews. So tell us what you think. We're not being lazy. We're we're being different.
1: There's a reason behind this. It takes a long time to edit these together. Uh, It takes uh, time to make sure that we're not spouting factual inaccuracies unless they're funny in the reviews and with with the lives that we have and the jobs that we have it can be a little slow getting these pods out as you may have noticed so we're trying a thing where we don't actually have to review we're giving ourselves the freedom not to have to review a car movie every single episode so we're going to try one with no reviews of car movies but hopefully plenty of news so
0: speaking of which chris what's in the news well we have a news story that we talked about some time ago when it was a thing. And there's been legal wranglings over the... Well, I was going to say over the beers for Bill Eleanor, for the situation behind that case. So you may remember us talking about it essentially... There's a very good Beers for B Build video, which is full of legal caveats for very obvious reasons. Um, but essentially, Carol Shelby, keep me honest here, which way around was it? Did the widow of H.B. Halicki go after Carol Shelby, or was he just pissed off with somebody stealing his design?
1: I think they may have tried. I'm, I'm I'd have to go back and watch Chris's excellent video um to remind myself of what it is. But effectively, I think the the widow of HB Hillicky, who was the guy who um did the 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 Gone in 60 Seconds movie um or is this involved in some of them and kind of introduced the world to the the Eleanor Mustang as it is. Um his widow has spent the last 20 years licensing the rights to make replica Eleanor Mustangs, and actively and deliberately suing anybody who makes anything that looks even vaguely like an Eleanor and calls it anything like an Eleanor without getting licensing from this person. She is very litigious, and it looks like the situation with Chris from Beers for Build referring to a Ford Mustang retro mod build as an Eleanor and then getting sued and having his car confiscated effectively and having to end the build, which happened a year or so ago now, if not a bit more. More than that, I think, yeah. More than that, maybe a couple of years ago. It looks like that situation actually brought the the whole thing into focus and I think there may have been lawsuits brewing between um, Denise Hillicki and Shelby beforehand but now it went in front of a judge and the judge ruled that you can't use the you can't have copyright over the eleanor character in a movie because the vast majority of it is basically
0: mostly stuff that carol shelby did to the ford mustang so so one of it was exactly that it was essentially a gt 500 kr in the nick cage film of 2000 which everyone looks at and goes that's an eleanor One interesting legal point was that if you say to somebody, Herbie, you can picture a Herbie, and the Herbies have been roughly the same in a number of films. Even the Batmobile, or certainly like um, Ecto-1 from Ghostbusters, it's recognisably the same film to film. I think Chris said in his video, there have been four Gone in 60 Second films, and each one has a different Eleanor. So... It's kind of interesting, the idea of, is an Eleanor from one film the same as an Eleanor from another film? And if you say that they are, then are all Mustangs Eleanors? And then it just gets really, really murky. But yeah, I think there was a large part of it was just him claiming... Sorry, she was claiming that basically anything that looked like a Carol Shelby Mustang... Could potentially in that grey in particular could potentially be an Eleanor, and I'm I'm really really glad that the the legal case on this has, has run its course. But somebody made a comment, and I think it was a Donut Media video where they said, "Is there a shed somewhere full of?" confiscated replica Eleanor's it was just so tremendously mean-spirited
1: and it's clear that this woman has nothing in her life no other skills and is basically a patent troll
0: yeah where exactly.
1: She's just going after people claiming that they're infringing on her copyright and now that copyright has been thrown out because the judge basically pointed out no you you what you're trying to say is Eleanor looks like a Ford Mustang from Carroll Shelby and that's not true. So mm. tough shit. You ha- you have no no case to bear and now everyone is free to make Eleanor Mustangs and won't get sued by Denise Halicki Meanwhile, I assume she's just going to go broke because she spent an awful lot of money by um, by the sounds of what Chris says in his video, sending expensive lawyers and raising, you know, basically scary lawsuits to try and force people to stop doing things. Maybe she keeps mm. the cars. Maybe she's going to sell them all off. Who cares? Um, I, I, for <laughs> one, I hope she has um, no further bearing on the automotive world because She's the kind of person that just destroys stuff and takes things away and doesn't contribute anything. It's interesting to see that he's, you know, Chris from Beers for Build has taken the time to put out a video, as you say, full of legal caveats, full of, you know, checks from the lawyer who is, as far as I can make out, standing just off screen or behind the camera or something <laughs> along those lines. Certainly it's a very carefully worded um, hmm. you know, carefully worded video. And he says, you know, he has to spend tens of thousands of dollars on legal fees to, to get through this whole thing. He also put right, you know, people saying, well, why don't you build a new one now? And he's like, I don't want to. You know, this whole thing has been ruined. Yeah. It's been tainted by that. And we've done better things since then. We've gone on and done other things. So, I, you know, there's, there's no reason revisiting the past. But it is now put to bed. And so maybe all these people who want to have replica Eleanor's from the Nick Cage gone in 60 seconds can do so without
0: fear of being sued. There is a dealer in Germany who apparently has a screen-used Nick Cage Eleanor which they take to sort of shows and things, and is allegedly for sale. If you had just bundles of money lying about the place, would you actually buy a screen-used, proper, bona fide Eleanor? No, I wouldn't buy one Funny if enough. it was a replica.
1: I just wouldn't buy one. So I, I get what people are like uh, want to do. And if you if you love the Mustang, or if you love that movie, if you're a Ford guy, if you're a muscle car guy, I understand it. But it's not for me. I I would far rather give a load of money to Dino Talk in the Midlands and have a big old V8 muscle <laughs> car engine dropped into an Aston Martin. Um, and if you haven't seen the series on Driftworks' YouTube channel about Craig from Dino Talk doing just that to a Mark <laughs> 1 4.3 Aston Martin Vantage, go and watch it and then be like me and go, how can I get one of that? How, how, I don't know how much it costs, but when I have some money... I want one of those because it's a totally <laughs> unassuming... That is my equivalent of a muscle car, right? It looks beautiful, yes. but it's got a filthy, filthy V8 in it that generates a lot of power and will do big burnouts. But it's the and British version of that.
0: It's the For
1: me, it's the British version of that. That's what I, That would be my Eleanor. I wouldn't call it Eleanor. I'd call it, you know, Dave. That would be me. That would be what, <laughs> what I want. And, and at some point in the future, that is what I want to do, assuming I can get one done. But yeah go and watch those driftwork videos cuz they're so cool. I've mentioned it before but they they're really good and Craig from Diner Talk is is a fabrication wizard.
0: Speaking of people buying movie cars, there was the oh what's the name of it? The the big posh Paris old car show was on recently. Uh Paris Automobile Auto Salon. Salon. Auto Salon. Yep. Auto Salon, that's the one. And they have the Porsche 917K that was bought and owned by the production company behind Le Mans and a Ferrari, which I think we, well, I asked our, our, our friend and Porsche, uh, Porsche Ferrari expert, Matt uh, Lange about, I can't work out if the Ferrari that another stand had was actually used in the film or whether they just took molds of the body panels and then stuck them on a the lower and then, Fired it into a crash barrier, but
1: either I don't way, know that they would have crashed one. Maybe, maybe they did. I don't know. This that at the time they were just old race cars. They weren't the
0: kind of valuable things that they are now. Oh no, no, no. There's that scene in Le Mans where they're coming into, I think Indianapolis, and it's the Ferrari loses it and goes into goes over like a, a crash barrier, and there's a cutaway scene of this flying car where they put. Um, Ferrari body panels of some description onto a Lola chassis and then I was going to say fired it off a steam cannon but probably just put a brick on exactly the This sounds exactly the same
1: as what they did in Driven where they put plastic body panels on like a Formula Ford or what they do in any movie like this. I have a feeling they did this in Ford uh, versus Ferrari as well where the cars that crash are very much replicas. Of course, they're oh, going to do this, yeah. right? They're not going to crash a real car, partly because cars are heavy and they they behave in unpredictable ways when they're crashed. That's whereas true. you know, the lighter the lighter you make it, and the more plasticky you make it, providing you can get away with it and it doesn't look too obvious, then you know. It's it's a far more predictable thing to crash and safer. Uh, one thing that, I, that always bugs me when you see this in any movie, by the way, um, is when you see a car flip or crash or whatever, and it happens to roll over underneath, and you can see they've taken the engine out. Yes. yes. There's just a big hole at the front. And I just can't... I know they've done it for safety reasons and blah, 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 but it just looks so terribly fake. And I can't help... Or when... I was watching uh, The Peripheral on Amazon Prime last night, or trying to watch it. I've been trying to watch the whole series after trying to read the book. I'm too stupid to understand what's going on, uh, but I stick with it because it's, you know, cool sci-fi stuff. And... There's a scene where an invisible Audi Q7 rams some American truck off the road and the American truck rolls over like a thousand times and gets bananded into a tree, but somehow is all completely still, like the people inside don't get decapitated, which is what would happen for real. (laughs) Because there is quite clearly a massive roll cage inside it, which you can see. Mm. And it bothers me enormously when you can see the obvious reinforcing that's taken place again, I know they have to do this stuff. But you'd think they could try, you know, paint it matte black or something. They'd try and disguise the nature of their mm. stunt car. But anyway, I, we have, we've
0: digressed. L- like the um, Mission Impossible M4, where they, they built the roll cage so that you couldn't actually see it. Yeah, well, it's, that's far cleverer than, unfortunately, ruined
1: it all by swapping the wheels for narrow, like, 15-inch ones <laughs> so it could drive down some steps and then swapping
0: it back to the fat halloys once they got to the bottom of the steps. That's true, that's true. Just not thinking of people like us, are they? Shall we talk no, about not. Formula One? <laughs> uh,
1: why not? I hear that some people have been booted off of Sky F1, and I hear that yeah. those people are Johnny Herbert and Paul Resta. I know you have thoughts about Paul Resta and Johnny Herbert. I really liked Paul Resta on Sky F1. I know he has, like, your classic dour Scotsman. He's got a face that looks like he's constantly sucking a lemon, but... He is an active, very, very good racing driver, which gives him a, a like a, a really good perspective. He is still at the forefront of racing. He's not long yep. out of Formula One cars of this. Ge- I think he did actually drive this generation of cars because he was like the, the reserve driver for one of the teams and someone was sick and he ended yes. up having to do a Grand Prix at like two days notice or something daft like that or half an hour's notice. I can't remember which. But he did have insight to share and he was he was good on the commentary I really enjoy him on the, the like the Friday the practice sessions which I always run on an iPad next to my desk and sort of half listen to while I'm doing doing work um, and I, I enjoy his take on things and I will miss him I mean I'm I'm pleased because you know he's racing in um, Hypercar for Peugeot this mm. year, so it's not like he's got nothing to do. He's he's off actually being a racing driver, and I there's a there's a kind of pardon the phrase there's a kind of fuck you to that where you're like all right, well I'm not going to be commentating on race cars. I'm too busy driving the motherfuckers.
0: <laughs> it's the perfect rip-
1: riposte, right? So I I will miss him, but he's off doing possibly more exciting things. Johnny Herbert, ah, I know you have issues with Johnny Herbert on Sky, and I will say. He never really had a take that was particularly original. But he's a nice mm. guy. He's Smiley Johnny Herbert. So I do feel a little bad for the guy.
0: I think the problem with Sky is that they're kind of like the So Solid crew. I think there's like about 28 of them these days, and they kind of rotate them in and out. There's a lot of people. Like, why
1: why they still have Nico Rosberg? Because he doesn't really yes. have anything. At this point, he doesn't have anything I'm particularly interested in hearing. Like 2017, 2018, when he was fresh off the the retirement Boat, and he was he was all still kind of fired up and punchy, but now, eh, you know, go back to your not. Where is it? Formula E? No, it's Formula. Oh, he's the. What's the the radio control um... car thing that they're dead that they (laughs) drive rag around in the desert? Uh, Extreme E. That's it. Go back to your Extreme E team. (laughs) I struggle with I, him, you know, I liked him as a driver yeah. I, I was I was like going against the grain going, "I support Rosberg sometimes um because I felt that he was a driver who was who knew how good he was and knew the limit of his his ultimate driving talent and sought to better himself by hard work and by you know trying all the other things mm. and it's not often you see a driver realize that they their talent in itself, their driving skill get, might not get them the ultimate result and that they have to try other things. It's a rare thing. Most of them just kind of just figure, well, I'm a good enough driver, it'll be fine. <laughs> and some of them are like that, but quite a few could stand to learn from his example. And I think he'll never admit it, but I think Lewis Hamilton learned a hell of a lot from, from that season in 2016 and from Nico Rosberg. Mm, so, yeah, he was a Rosberg right. fan when he was driving. I'm less of a fan... Now, although he is not afraid to kind of say unpopular things and, and ask awkward questions of Toto, I think he kind of delights in it, to be honest. That's kind of fun. <laughs> I don't want them to get rid of like the, the non-negotiables for me for Sky are you need to keep Anthony Davidson. Yep. And you need to keep Karun Chanduk and you need to keep yep. Martin Brundle. And Yep. Frankly, everybody else is interchangeable. Maybe, I mean, Naomi Schiff's been a breath of fresh air. And I think getting Natalie Pinkham to do some of the comms for practice sessions has been really good. She's good at it. Yep. Let, let's see more of that kind of thing. Oh, the the guy I forgot to mention, who's also a non-negotiable, Ted Kravitz. We cannot yes. have Sky without Ted Kravitz. And um, when they tried to do that, it did not go down
0: well. You know why he wasn't on it for a while? Isn't the boss of Sky not like him or something? Basically the boss of Sky Sports at the time was like, No, we don't need him, get rid of him. And then <laughs> and went- Kravitz. And then no. everyone revolted because
1: everyone loves Ted Kravitz, because again, he's kind of taken a thing, you know, Ted's notebook. I don't know if it's been copied by other networks and other channels and other countries, but I wouldn't be surprised. Much like on you know, Martin Brundle's Gridwalk is now a mm. thing copied by many, many countries. I would imagine that Ted's Notebook is also a format that has been noted, if you will, and, and borrowed <laughs> by other nations. So yes, I, those those are the people I think the broadcast would be far the worse if they weren't there. There are people who are who in, engaging... Jensen Button's a great commentator because he's still clearly switched on to racing and he is very articulate and he has the benefit of knowing virtually everybody on the grid certainly the senior members he can he can quite happily banter with Lewis he can he can chat with he was great when he chatted with Seb because he's raced against these people he's 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 been on podiums with them. He's beaten them. And he kind of has, again, a little bit of the Rosberg, but with, with Jensen's charm of the sort of, fuck you. I don't need to be here. I'm here because I want to be here. (laughs) I have nothing to prove to you people. And uh, that's, there's a, there's a great degree of charm and in, in him whilst also having that just air of, I'm here because I love
0: it. I I would also add, I think Rachel Brooks does a, 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 Plethora of really good roles in the Sky coverage, but I, th- I think I would definitely agree that I don't. S- I remember when Sky took on the F one coverage; they kind of did the football thing where they went, well, all of our pundits are going to be former drivers, and then you kind of go, "Yeah, maybe we should get some actual presenters in, like Sky you mean broadcasters." Uh, not Sky. Exactly, exactly. BBC. I, well,
1: the thing is, the BBC when they had the when they took over from ITV. And they ran it for that that brief period, basically Mm. redefined the bar for Formula One coverage, as far as I'm concerned. You know, they brought on an exceptional broadcasting team, an exceptional production team, and they set the bar so that when Sky were handed over, they were like, this is how this format needs to run, and this is how good it can be. What's annoying is there's no Formula One on right now, Chris. There's no Formula One on. There's no... I mean, testing's like, would you like five minutes to run your car around the track? No more testing for you. Bad Formula One teams.
0: <laughs> so I think at would the like end of the month... I, I, well, like no, the you would you like to see our car? Well, no, you can't. Would you like to see last year's it? car
1: with some paint on it? No, I didn't. <laughs> no, I didn't. Because I couldn't give two shits about Red Bull and their Ford badge. <laughs>
0: What was brilliant, though, about that launch, and there wasn't much brilliant about it, was that was it was like Red Bull and Hon, and, uh, and Ford, and look, aren't we going to be great? It's going to be Ford coming back to Formula One with Red Bull and Red Bull and Ford, and here's our Red Bull Honda car. And you mentioned these sort of Japanese execs going, um... Yeah, that's the thing. What bothers me about all of these
1: launches, you're not actually seeing the real car. I think maybe some of the... I, I've just... Launch season is boring, right? It's just boring. Here is a render of the car. Here is a livery reveal. Except in the case of Red Bull, it's like, here's the same livery we've been running for the last 10 years on last year's car. Here are a pair of disinterested Formula One drivers in New York. Here are a bunch of Red Bull athletes that have nothing to do with Formula
0: One. One, one last thing, and this is sad news about um, Jenny Gow, the BBC uh, motorsports presenter earlier this month uh, she suffered a stroke um, she's still very much with us fortunately um, and is on a on a path to recovery goes without saying we you know we wish her every good wish in getting her recovery and getting back to a point where she can work again and um, strokes can do some really twisted things to your sense of language and speech and particularly if you're a presenter that's that's um, that is a big big problem one thing I I, I will say um, having had some slightly more personal um, effects uh, from this not me I've, I haven't had a stroke but I know people that have if you take nothing else from this episode please go and familiarise yourself with the uh, symptoms of a stroke It can happen to people who are much younger than you would expect, who are fit, who are healthy. It can happen really, really quickly. And if you can get them help, the quicker you can get it, the better it is for them long-term. So we'll put a link in the show notes. I'll find something that, there's some really good resources out there. If you can spot it, if you can help, if you can get help quickly, it can make a real difference to people. End of serious bit. I know. I, I spotted that uh, it was uh, that was on Twitter, I
1: think, and I did see that. And she has posted yeah. similar um, updates since then, with the help of her family, to indicate that she is getting better. But yes, that's a it's a big blow for a broadcaster. It's a terrible thing to have suffered. I believe she's younger than I am, uh, which is mm. an eye opening thing. So yes, very best wishes to Jenny Gow. Let's move on to what we've been watching, and I will kick this off by saying I started watching the Lamborghini movie that has. Well, if you if you Google the Lamborghini movie reviews, you will find some fairly unkind reviews about it. And I thought, well, <laughs> I, I, I've got a train journey. I will, I will, I will get a copy and I will watch this movie. And I got halfway through and then I ran out of battery, so um,
0: I haven't finished it.
1: But the initial signs? When you say of, ran
0: out of battery, do you mean personally or on your device? <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes, for, for both almost. <laughs> it, it, it gets off to a terrible start in that there's this kind of weirdo dream sequence where where for Ferruccio Lamborghini pulls up alongside Enzo Ferrari, who's played by Gabriel Byrne, and there he's in a uh, Ferruccio Lamborghini's in a Countach, and I, can't, uh, Matt, you'll have to forgive me for for get not knowing which Ferrari he's in, but it's like something from the mid '80s, some frumpy crap. Box from the mid 80s. It's like the, these two cars were never made alongside each other, and Ferruccio Lamborghini and Enzo Ferrari never did a weirdo drag race on some back road. Uh, it's just the weirdest, strangest dream sequence, and I was totally taken out of the whole movie by the fact that these cars were not produced at the same time. And I'm pretty certain this thing never happened. So why is it a dream sequence? And why does it keep cutting to Frank Grillo with a pair of quite badly made models on his desk, pushing them along and then cut back to this dream sequence? I love Frank Grillo <laughs> as Ferruccio Lamborghini. He is a badass. He's in. He's well into his 50s. He's ripped as hell. If you see one Frank Grillo movie, watch Boss Level. I think it's on Amazon Prime. It's awesome and has fun car chases in it the lamborghini movie i may not actually ever finish it because i was taken so far out of it by the 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 factual and scriptural inaccuracies and it wasn't even like movie license it was like really terrible inaccuracies that even people who are not in in the car world will probably go hang on a minute that car looks significantly (laughs) this is very contrived i bet this never happened and then they've lost you and mm-hmm. you you can't get that back especially when it's right at the start of a movie. So, I watched or tried to watch the Lamborghini um Man Behind the Myth, Man Behind the Legend, sorry, biopic and failed. Um but what I've been the watching, V12. yes, the, the, the what I have really been enjoying is uh Matt Armstrong starting a rebuild of a Porsche 992 GT3 um in a sort of weird Brit Stroke America collab where he's doing this at Tavarish's shop. Now, I haven't mm. really been a Matt Armstrong subscriber on YouTube. He is a British YouTuber. He, he seems like he's been doing this relatively recently. He built up a huge following over COVID, rebuilding cars, kind of your classic rebuild channel, buying mm. wrecked, you know, initially just sports cars and then moving on to wrecked exotics and so on and rebuilding them. We've seen these kind of channels a million times. I still love them. I still enjoy seeing how these cars are put together and seeing people take cars that look like they're complete basket case wrecks and turning them back into what appear to be fully functioning road cars again. And so I I happen to see this on Tavares' channel where um, I think he's basically lending shop space to Matt who has bought another YouTuber's crashed Porsche 992 GT3. So there's a YouTuber called Adam LZ, LZ, if if I'm being British about it. Former BMX rider, I think. Okay, I much like Matt Armstrong is actually, but um, I have never watched any of his videos. He appears to have a trainee moustache and I just can't get past that. I can't actually see anything else on the screen (laughs) other than his trainee moustache. It's basically dominating the screen. (laughs) So anyway, anyway, I've been watching Matt Armstrong's YouTube channel and he is frighteningly cheery and Mm. um possessed of the kind of get up and go energy that you get when you have
0: perfect teeth the thing that i'm kind of enjoying about it as well is it's one thing when when freddie did the 675 lt it's difficult to get crash parts for a 675 lt the 992 but they've been around is... for a while. That's the thing. He exactly. was able to yeah, get yeah. quite a lot of parts because it had been around
1: for a while. Yeah, like you say, I know where you're going with this. Um, <laughs> yeah. Matt Armstrong's having problems with this because the 992 has really not been around that long. And so, A, Porsche won't sell you structural spare parts because you're not a Porsche-approved repair place. And B you have any. <laughs> yeah, I, I exactly. There's still... Delivering these new, so you're going to have to find other crashed ones that you know to maybe took a hit in the in the back, um, so to speak. <laughs> <laughs> Um, maybe took a whack from the rear no that sounds just as bad um, maybe somebody oh, drove in racing in. all over again yeah, oh god <laughs> it's all turned to custard for D'Ambrosio um, <laughs> anyway <laughs> there's a deep cut frontalism for you uh, anyway yes he's going to have to buy bits off of other crashed 992s which is not going to be cheap because there can't be that many of them around there that have been written off but it's an interesting thing to see just how well put together these cars are how difficult it is to fix them when all the parts that you need to get to are hidden behind dashboards and so on i was watching Mm. a video of his where he was rebuilding the current model aston martin vantage the one with the mercedes twin turbo v8 in it and to fix something he had to take the entire dash off and the entire dash is not just like the plastic that that goes on there there's aluminium structural sections that need to be unbolted from the chassis of the car and the whole thing comes out and needs two people to lift it or if you're Aston Martin a Jeez. special robo tool That the whole thing's mad and you watch these things and because he's rebuilding this by himself learning as he goes often from pictures on the internet often by trial and error it does make you wonder about you know these cars are often written off because they can't mm. be economically repaired but they're not that badly damaged and the reason is they're just not built to be easily repaired Mm. when you look at the certainly aston i was amazed at how difficult it was to do things and it made me think did you really design this to be serviced to be fixed properly no that okay blowing three airbags and having a little dent means it's written off because you'd have to replace the entire dash and that's a like three-day job
0: and i think six grand or Something insane like that. It's they're, they're designed to be put together, they're not designed to be repaired. It's why things like headlights replacements become like bumper off jobs because it's quick to put the headlamp on on the production line, then put the bumper on the top of it, then make it intrinsically repairable. Yes,
1: I mean, it's it is I was just watching it, it's just kind of distressing to see how difficult it is to to take a what might be a small what looks like a small crash you know a small mm. a few a bit crumpling on the front end um maybe some crash bars need replacing and actually finding those things is difficult and you know But buying the parts from it means you have to buy them from other crashed cars and hope that they didn't suffer structural problems. Obviously, none of this is is undergoing um, NDT testing or any kind of x-ray to make sure that there's no structural cracks or anything in these parts that are being bought off of eBay or bought from suppliers. I watch it and I think... How are you ensuring these things? But I'm very much enjoying seeing, you know, like the guts of what goes in. You know how a 992 GT3 is built. You get to see how yes. the the crash structures work. There's a whole. If you're an engineer, you'll get a lot out of seeing how how these things are built, how they've absorbed the accident impact. Uh, you know, seeing the independent where they front place suspension. their fuses. Yeah, we're seeing the independent front suspension on the new 992 that was the big deal. You know, you actually get mm-hmm. to see there's a top strut on it, um, a top wishbone rather. And there's a, just a, there's a joy in seeing that. And, I, know, I wish him all the best with the, with the rebuild so yes I've been enjoying those things too and the one last thing I want to call out is Mighty Car Mods are doing a truck engine swap for a little K truck they love a K truck over there um, because obviously being much much closer to Japan those things can be imported into Australia far more easily than they can be imported into the UK um, and they're doing like an engine swap from the 660cc K truck thing to like a one litre one a big block as they call it <laughs> with a turbo um for a little k-truck that they describe as being about as big as a broom and then they hold up a shop broom (laughs) next to it and they're not wrong it's tiny but it's brilliant it's done with their it's done with their kind of inimitable humour and style and they do actually fly over to Japan at one point take the the bullet train to go and get some parts and then fly back over overnight back to Australia which meant that they could describe it legitimately as overnight parts from Japan
0: (laughs) Brilliant Brilliant. and with that what have you been watching? Um, so I found Tucked Away on F1 TV, and I know we talk about F1 TV a lot. If you're in the UK, you can't watch the live stuff, but there's so much archive stuff there to watch. They have a behind-the-scenes film from Silverstone 2021, which was the 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 battle of Lewis and Max and um, their squabbling cop's corner. The whole film, it's about 16 minutes long, and it takes place between the outside broadcast unit of F1 in the paddock at Silverstone and the broadcast centre for F1 at Biggin Hill. So you get... There's no explanation. There's no um, narration. There's no explanation of, of who or what or why. There's some captions on screen when they, when you see certain people. The whole thing is watching the race from the perspective of the people in the TV galleries, and just the constant chatter over and over each other. Everyone doing different things, lining stuff up, getting stuff done. When Verstappen crashes, there's this voice that says, "You know, no close-ups on on Max. Keep away from Max." Um, they've got a um, behind-the-scenes camera guy in the helicopter, so when they when they You see some of the footage from before it actually goes to air. So, you know, when the cars come around, they say, oh, you know, heli, focus on cars, you know, position three and four. And you see the helicopter doing its acrobatics in the sky. And it is the story of the race from the point of view of the TV production, it's not on YouTube as far as I can see. It's not easy to find in the F1 app, but if you go to Silverstone 2021, it's on there. And just the idea of being in the middle of that environment for two hours, it's like, um, you know when you see like a, a busy restaurant kitchen and there's people shouting and there's stuff yeah. banging this way and that way and two more of this da, 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 da. it's like that with f1 it reminds
1: me when jake humphrey used to present f1 and he was <laughs> yeah. asked how he got cued and so he actually played a recording of what he's hearing in his ear uh, over yeah. the top of him actually doing the presenting so you could actually you could see him doing the presenting but you could hear what he was hearing while he was doing the presenting and he just said you know i learned how to do this on blue peter he He learned <laughs> coming up through children 's TV how to listen to an auto cue coming through your ear like for a gallery feed effectively and still talk. So being able to split your brain and deliver a thought and have it appear natural and informative whilst also taking direction in your ear at the same time. I remember that being spectacular, and that's just two voices. Imagine who the TV director has to take in. Yeah, you know, how the TV director copes, I I don't know. And they they do... I mean, we're so spoiled for coverage now. So, so spoiled. When you look back like 15 years ago again use F1 TV and go and see some of those old races in the V10 era they're dreadful they're just terrible coverage the ITV coverage was I despaired of it even when it was on um so we we're, we're super spoiled now but I I will I will seek that one out I have watched some other stuff on F1 TV but we we didn't want to talk about it
0: uh what else have <laughs> you been watching so there was a good video by a channel we've mentioned before, um, James Martin, JM on Cars. He does a a, a a kind of variety of videos. So he does a lot of sort of car review type things. Um, but he also has done videos in the past where he's talking about. He did some famous ones that got traction about McLaren service quality, and he's done one uh, very recently, which is which is very good about the the kit that he uses to film cars. And he did a video called Why Car Fiction Was Doomed to Fail, the harsh reality of TV quality something on YouTube, which is, um, I can't see in our notes. And he goes through very fairly, very openly, how difficult it is to make car content for YouTube. And we, you know, we watch a lot of it. We know some of the things innately that he says but there's also a lot of truth to what he was saying um i think the thing that i found even most a small interesting is
1: yeah listening to how he talks about how much it costs how you budget for doing these things where he talks about you know he made a video about the history of bentley and went out on location filmed b-roll did all this kind of thing and it didn't get as many hits as you know maybe him just sitting at his desk talking about a, another subject, you know, shitty McLaren yeah. service quality or whatever, you know, <laughs> things that take no time and very little effort to shoot can do better than something that is a passion project that you pour days and in not insignificant sums of money just to get there and mm. shoot the thing. I found it very interesting hearing him talk about the, the business of YouTube and how you need to have a company behind you um, that has some kind of, that sells something for this to work, but I I find it very interesting when YouTubers talk about the the algorithm and the, just the the economics of doing this on YouTube, of YouTube mm. as a career. Uh, Matt Farah talks about this um, quite a lot. He's done a really excellent recent episode of the Smoking Tire podcast with Doug Demuro, where oh, um, yeah. Doug Demuro talks a lot about um, the data behind. What he does and how he chooses cars, and uh, you know, Matt Farah talks about them hiring a data scientist to look through their their archive and mm. figure out what what things work and what things don't. Um, they also talk wonderfully because this is um, something that's happened to Doug Demuro recently. He started an online auction site. I can't remember if it was before mm. or after collecting cars, but there's a lot of them have started recently. I think it was he before, did one, yeah in the US called Cars and Bids. And he, you know, used his audience and his following to promote his new venture, Cars and Bids, and it's become very successful and has since taken a significant investment from um, an, an, uh, an investment fund, which has allowed him to kind of take a little step back from, from running it and, and, you know, sell it a little bit of his equity and buy a Carrera GT, his dream car. And there's a video on there ah. I watched, which is... Uh, Absolutely fantastic, and you know, spoiler alert—that's going to be my video choice, and we'll go into it more later. <laughs> but he talks very much about what happens when the algorithm comes for you, mm. and what you know, diversifying your your income so that you're not reliant on the algorithm and you're not reliant on the whims of YouTube. And I think mm. there's a there's a degree of that in in what um, James talks about with the carfection thing, but a lot of it's just the the, the economics of what the numbers are. And how much it costs to get a crew to do the kind of videos mm. that Carfection was doing versus how much money it brings in, and the two just don't add up.
0: No, and following on from that, I reached out to James. I reached out to uh, Misha Chirudin. I reached out to a few other YouTubers of varying sizes, and I'm talking like subscribers, kind of in the tens to the hundreds of hundreds of thousands. And I so I, I just said to them what is it that we can do as viewers that makes channels more sustainable? And just started that conversation. There was some really interesting insight. I know Misha said, for example, he thought it was very interesting when you talk about companies that are backing a channel. If you look at Drive Tribe, when it was sort of young and money was being thrown about versus what it's doing now, the two were kind of very different entities, but almost, I, I think they've almost moved from a sort of editorial to a more authentic YouTube model. And I think it's kind of, it's actually doing better as a result of that. But every YouTuber that I spoke to said the same thing that people can do to help with their channels. Can you guess what that one thing was? Watch it till the end. Or, you know, be a subscriber. That came up, but it wasn't the most common thing. Buy their merchandise. No. I'll come back to that. I would have expected more to be like, buy our merch. All right, what is it? The number one thing that you can do is recommend videos to your friends. Well, by actually telling them or, you know, tweeting them out or whatever. Exactly. Exactly. If you can be an ambassador or be an evangelist for a channel... And help them find more of an audience. That is something that will help long term far more than a lot of other things. And it's a good job we do that kind of thing on a <clears throat> sort of week,
1: semi-weekly, bi-weekly basis. We've been doing this for years now, right? We, oh God, we have. We've highlighted a bunch of channels. Like I'd like to, you know, pick out something from early on in the thing. VHS rallies. Like Mm. We got onto that train way before anyone else recommended it to me. Other channels that you kind of spot, I can remember recommending um, legit streetcars. And he's since gone on to start doing that full time. His channels exploded. I doubt it's got anything to do with us. But we've been we've it been helps. look we've been searching and recommending this stuff for literally years now, um, which mm. makes me feel a little bit better because I thought it would be like buy our
0: merch, remember to like and subscribe. So subscribing does help because subscriptions are one of the metrics by which creators get discovered, and I think James said if if everybody who who watched his video was a subscriber, then it would change so much about how the channel is perceived even if the views are the same it, it's the way that it affects things um so i have found a couple of videos from uh, linus tech tips talking about youtube in particular when it comes to audience comes to revenue um we've highlighted before if you have the money and I appreciate times are tight and we all have a dozen subscription services these days, YouTube premium, as well as being a much better experience, does provide more income to the videos that you watch, not just to the, the, the pool, but actually the revenue that you, or a portion of the revenue that you provide to YouTube goes to the videos and the creators that you specifically watch. So that, that can shift the needle a little bit on the ad revenue side. Um, One other thing that he said, which kind of I found interesting and I've kind of thought about since, was he had a conversation with somebody at YouTube and they talk about the algorithm. And they say, they were saying, whenever you hear algorithm, replace it with audience. If you think of, of this is more of a creator-centric view, but if you think about, you know, what can you do to please the audience? What can you do to make your videos more attractive to the audience? And I've said before, you know, by any metric, Bad Obsession Motorsport are terrible when it comes to the rules of YouTube, but their engagement is through the roof, Um the other thing... So, you know, like, comment, subscribe does help. Recommend doesn't cost you anything, does make a difference to the creators. And when you get to things like merch, because I thought merch was going to be a a thing. Somebody said, merch sales are good, but you don't get people who buy a T-shirt every single month. They buy one, and then the, six months later, a year later, they might buy a second. Um, Patreon as well can be a bit of a double-edged sword because some people it funds them, it lets them go full time, it lets the you know them have an engagement with their with their audience. Some others find it to be a bit that it kind of adds pressure to the experience, so they've got this kind of expectation from people, and they kind of feel like. They maybe have to do stuff that they don't want to because there's the Patreon backing. The other thing that did come out, which I thought was was kind of very telling, was, and I think Misha said this to be fair, I think this insight was very good. Watch the YouTubers that you like. If they're pushing their merch, it's because it's important to them. If they're pushing the Patreon, it's because it's important to them. I know channels who do merch and like, Once, you know, once a year they'll go, oh yeah, maybe we should do some more merch because it's not that important to their business model. If there's something that's being pushed, whether it is, you know, Patreon, whether it is events, whether it is some other service, you know, a a PDF download or, you know, ebook guide or whatever it is, they're being pushed for a reason. You know, we follow photographers who, when it comes around to calendar season, you know they've got a calendar because that's a big part of their income. So- listen to, to the creators. You know, things like brand deals, the codes that they they use for those, you know, that are sign up to our VPN and you get 98% off for 12 years or whatever it is. You know, if you need a VPN, go and find a creator that's offering it. If you need a website, if you need a, you know, a skills course or whatever.
1: I had to set up a Squarespace site for a friend who had a project that was going on in COVID. And I used... A Squarespace code from, I think it was Tom Heaton in the end. Photographer, not mm. a uh, car YouTuber. But, you know, I used a code there to get some degree of, of money off. And hopefully that means they sponsor him another time. And I I get it. I, I understand. I think Patreon is a tricky one because it's another subscription. And yeah. I... Pay for my eleven ninety nine a month for YouTube Premium, and I have to admit that is one of the best subscriptions because YouTube with no ads is infinitely preferable to YouTube with ads. So if you are thinking about it and you have a spare twelve quid a month, that's three pints these days, um, then you know, and then maybe maybe even less if you're buying them in London, then. It's worth it. But yes, I, I when merch comes around, quite often, if it's an American channel, I will get as far as looking at it and then look at the shipping and go, nah.
0: Yes. Yeah. Because
1: that's, you know, it's a real bummer that you get absolutely nailed on shipping and possibly taxes. A great example of this is I love Larry Casilla at Ammo And yeah. having done it quite recently, bit the bullet and bought a bunch of Ammo products, I paid more in tax than I did for the products. Mm -hmm. to get it shipped from the USA and to get it through customs cost more than the actual products themselves, (laughs) which is insanity. And so Mm. with a lot of the channels, it very much depends on where they are. And with Patreon, for me at least, it's. I'm like, well, is it another subscription? I, I don't mind throwing a couple of quid to a few podcasts. But if it's anything more than that, I, it would have, I, I struggle with those ones a little bit. And I can understand why it does let some creators go. And I do choose to back some creators, but it happens to be on the podcast side rather than the YouTube side but i mm. I take the point that if they are pushing something, it's not for no reason it's because it's important and it will make a difference to them i I really that's a bit of original research from the automovie podcast for you <laughs> telling you how you can help your favorite youtubers and giving you said you know just tweeting it stuff out and sharing it with friends is pretty powerful advice, and like you said, it's free. Let's move on to what Henry Catchball
0: has been up to this week. Speaking of highlighting podcasts, that uh, YouTube videos that we like. So Henry Catchball, going back to actually to the K-Car thing, I believe the Caterham Super Six Hundred is classed as a K-Car. And I know certainly the last one they did with this engine was, uh, was as well. This sounds like it should be a fairly boring video in a lot of ways, but... Henry does his thing. He makes it engaging to look at the most basic Caterham you can get. And it passed the auto movie test. We haven't talked about it in a while. But you know what? Before the video ended, I was looking at Caterhams used and seeing what it would cost to get something like that.
1: I watched it and I admired very much him making what, you're right, is kind of a dull car. Especially for YouTube, right? I think the joy in those cars is in the driving of them yes. in person and enjoying them. When you're looking at YouTube, you're just like, well, it's got daft steel wheels and everything's really narrow. And it looks like it's got cross ply tyres from the 1950s and bicycle fenders. And it's only got like five horsepower. Rubbish. Why isn't it on the lockstops, catchpole? Um, I, I want actually- a V8 in it. <laughs> it's it's probably a beautiful thing to drive. It did make me go, "Oh, Caterhams for a little bit." And then I realized, you know, I live in Great Britain where it rains a lot, and I'm not as hardy as Henry Catchpole. <laughs> so, you're right, it did make me think about Caterhams again. And did like a Caterham for me is like a fourth or a fifth car. It's not a oh God, yes. it's not like you it's it's a very much a high days and holidays kind of car. But I loved the video and I loved Seeing somebody enthuse about the the back to basics of of the car, I loved his intro where he just starts talking about switches <laughs> as a means of controlling <laughs> things. Um, the luddite in me that can't stand cars that just have touchscreens everywhere very much enjoyed that. So I, I I mean this watch everything Henry does. We tell you to do this, and hopefully Absolutely. you will do it. But watch everything he does. But again, another great one from Haggerty with with Henry Catchpole. Uh, what? Are your YouTube channels and picks or channel and
0: pick? So I started watching before the very sad news about Ken Block, which has garnered much coverage for entirely justified reasons. I started watching uh, a series called Launch Control, Road to Jim Carner 2022, which I kind of fell off of because of what happened. Um, I heard Larry Chen on the Smoking Tire podcast talking about. So this is the Travis Pastrana, uh, his latest Jim Carner video with the Subaru that's actually not the Subaru that it looks like, but it looks like the hatchback Subaru. And they did a making of series alongside the filming of uh, of the Jim Carner episode itself, and it's on the Subaru. USA channel, I believe. So it's again not something that would necessarily be seen if you just like follow Hoonigan. And it's really, really interesting because it's almost you remember the at the kind of the height of the Colin McRae ProDrive era, there would be those documentaries where they followed the team during a rally and you'd see it would almost focus more on the mechanics and the management than it would the onboard. This almost feels a bit like that. So it's it's very much what the production's doing, but also this team of crack super mechanics who, you know, Travis goes off, gets driven over by a monster truck or something. They then have to rebuild it overnight. They then send him out He does a stunt. They then come back, spanner check the whole car. They then replace this, that and the other that have failed. And it's really interesting because it looks at the production. What happened when Travis's parachute had a problem with uh, right at the very start of the shoot? What the the mechanics would need to keep the car running? Because I, I always thought that it was just, you know, he'd just sort of go out and drive it. They'd hose it off at the end of the day and keep going. But, you know, these things are now such precision machines that they need a crew like a World Rally car where it's being spanned in between every single stage. Um There is a whole series of these. So I just found them really watchable. I found, you know, Travis is really engaging. The whole thing's really well put together. And then I went off and watched the Jim the Carna episode as well because that is still very, very good. And they talk about... Why Travis is different from from Ken and some of the speeds he does. Oh, uh, aye carumba. Um, my channels, I will I will dedicate this slot to Misha trudin and Jaymon Cars for being awesome people and helping us with our original research for the first time in 57 episodes. Um, Misha in particular, I mean, you know, the, the Nürburgring is currently shut and being dug up and is under snow in various places and yet he's still posting you know multiple times a week Um, whether it's somebody going flat out in a GT2 RS and doing like a 7 minute lap time or whether it's Nigel Pinder in the latest evolution of the Pinder Wagon which is an insane Mark II Golf with aero and 500 horsepower give those two guys um, give those two guys a watch give those two guys a subscribe Um, and JM has another channel as well so go and watch that too what about you? What are your picks? So I, I've
1: chosen Matt Farrer's review of the new Porsche 911 Dakar, uh, which was mentioned in his podcast earlier on where, you know, they've talked about the kind of videos he used to make, which are a lot of the one takes where he'd get a, a car and strap some mm. GoPros to it and just download his thoughts in real time, driving the car up and down the canyons and be done. And the idea behind that, I think, was it's only a day and it's very cheap, to do, very simple and would hopefully get a bunch of engagement um, and the, his review of the 9 Dakar is not that it's a bit more produced, it's a bit more thought through, they shot a lot of B-roll Um and I really enjoyed this from him. I think he is surprisingly underrated as a journalist and a writer. The voiceover oh. is really excellent I think his thoughts in the car are when he kind of reverts to almost the, the caricature of Matt Farrer of just going, man, this is dope,
0: um, <laughs> whilst
1: one arm drifting around the sand dunes. Um, but his the, the idea behind this is very interesting, and it's a bit more produced than some of the stuff he's done more recently, and I really enjoyed it. And it's a great take on the 911 Dakar um, from somebody who has spent their own money to build up a Safari 911 in the past. And yes. so he has... You know, a fairly unique insight into why you might want to do this, what it takes and what are the compromises and how Porsche has nailed it with this new car that no one's going to drive off road (laughs) because it's £224,000. And, um, you know, he makes the point that they're probably just going to get driven to cars and coffee and they're just going to be polished. and, And it's... It's a really good watch. It's a really interesting review. I've not seen any, I've deliberately not watched anyone else's video review of this. Although I have read pieces around the web, I'd I'd call out um, Andrew Frankel's piece on the intercooler as being mm, worth your time. Yes. Um, and for my channel, I'm going to go with Doug DeMuro because, as I mentioned earlier on, he has recently sort of not quite exited his cars and bids thing because he's still very much involved, but they've taken investment, which has meant he's been able to take a bit of money and buy his dream car. And he's done a wonderful video about buying a Carrera GT and exactly why the Carrera GT is his dream car. And it is such a heartfelt story. And it's somebody who... Can articulate exactly why and when they became a petrol head, and why and when they saw their dream car. And it's fascinating to hear somebody's journey from that moment right up until the point where he sat leaning against his own car. Wow! And so I'd recommend that video. But also, his channel is full of his amazing quirks and features reviews of cars. He's just such a, 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 a self consciously uncool but brilliant voice on YouTube. You know, he's always in like a frumpy t-shirt and shorts, standing behind a car, leaping out and going, this is the 2022
0: Toyota Prius. Um, he's unique. Did you see as well on his channel, um, on one of the community updates, that video, because I thought it was just him in a, with a Carrera GT. I didn't realise there was a story attached to it, although it's his car. Um it was uh, number one on trending on YouTube, which... I'm not surprised. And the thing is, it could be... D- this video,
1: he writes, I think, in one of the comments at the top. He was very unsure about revealing it and talking about it because it could be seen as dickish. It could be seen as showing off. But the very mm. way he tells the story, A, it's Doug and he's very genuine and very humble and very down to earth. But the, the detail of the story down to the date and the year that he saw the car that became wow. the unicorn the dream car it's so relatable it's and it's so human and it's so wonderful to see somebody achieve their dream in a way that is it's not showing off and oh, with all these you is with all the with all these youtubers there can sometimes be a degree of um Showing off. I don't know. I don't quite know how to put it into better words than that. But when you see it's them the rolling their six, yeah, it's, it's it's when you see them rolling in their beautifully detailed six seven lt or their brand new Ferrari or their one of three different gated manual Lamborghini Murcielagos, and I'm going to say Murcielago. Um, <laughs> there is a degree of. I'll be honest, there's a degree of jealousy. Whereas I didn't yeah. feel that for Doug at all. I was just like, holy cow, that is a wonderful story. And I'm so happy that you were able to put in the work. And, you know, now you're reaping the rewards and it's your absolute dream car. And you're, you can see him getting misty eyed in it. It's a brilliant, brilliant video. And his channel is excellent. So if you are not somebody who watches Doug Demiro and his amazing quirks and features reviews, do go check his channel out. And with that, that brings us to the end of a reviewless episode of the Autumn Movie Podcast. Do let us know what you thought of us just rambling on with no break for just to criticize somebody else's creative endeavors. (laughs) Um, i'd be fascinated to know if you prefer this um, because reviewing a movie every episode can sometimes be tricky but we do like doing it and we do like seeking out different things that maybe you haven't seen and recommending them much like the youtubers please do share this podcast because we get a bigger audience and hopefully then more people listening means we actually put more effort into it if you've got comments comments at automoviepod.com uh, we're at automovie pod on Twitter still even though some of it's on fire and not working and, uh, and at some point, yeah and Instagram and the YouTube channel is coming back soon and we may even end up on Mastodon at some point um, even if it does sound slightly suspicious so <laughs> that that brings us to the end of the podcast I think we're all now going to watch a video right to the end like share subscribe and buy merchandise